Welcome back to Butter With That, a podcast where some friends from Philly get together to talk about movies. Um, as you can see, we're uh, still getting together, uh, in air quotes there, uh, just kind of gathering via Zoom. Um, but a nice way for us to, to stay in touch and a nice way to, for us to still bring you content. So we hope that you folks out there are doing well. How is everybody here doing? Hanging in there. Pretty yeah. good. Dying yeah. slowly, but aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. Currently in the process of packing up my apartment to move. Um, so that's kind of been a, I mentioned telling you guys earlier, that was a nice distraction just to give me something to do. And so in, a, in about a week, we'll be in our new spot and it'll be cool. Connor, are you call, all caught up on Clone Wars right now? I am. Okay, we are too. And um, this week's episode was like in, amazing. It was uh, perhaps the best lightsaber battle I've seen in mm-hmm. years. Um, it was very cool. I was a little nervous about this season of Clone Wars until the past two episodes. Yeah, uh, it. I also like cried a little bit in the first uh, episode of this current arc that they're in. So uh, very much making me emotional too. So, how many seasons of Clone Wars have there been? Seven. Damn. But the sixth one is like super short, and this one is pretty short too. <laughs> Yeah, it got, it, I think seasons one through four had like 23 episodes, and then yeah. Cartoon Network canceled it. Uh, Netflix picked it up to release 12 episodes, 10 episodes. Then Netflix dropped it, and then Disney um, released the final 12 episodes, which were like, I think, 60% of the way animated. So yeah. they didn't have to pour like a ton of resources into finishing the final 12. But it looks amazing. Um, the animation's very good in this season. And it's, uh, this arc is happening, um, like, in the middle of Return of the Sith, or, or uh, right? Yeah. Revenge. Revenge. Revenge of the Sith. There we go. Um, so it's, like, weird timeline-wise, too, where, like, these episodes are landing, um, but, like, in a different area. Like, other stuff is happening while events of Revenge are happening, too. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you're just waiting for that Order 66 shoe to drop. Oh man, yeah, good stuff. That's what I've been watching. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else see anything cool lately? I have two notable movies. One is a Portuguese movie that came out, like I think, two years ago, called Diamantino. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. Did you see it? <laughs> the puppies. The puppy dreams. Oh my this god! This movie okay. was bonkers. To give you just. A taste. It's basically about a Portuguese soccer player whose career comes crashing down when he has realizations of realizations about like the world. But like yes. the opening sequence is on a soccer field, and he's like going in for the World Cup winning goal, and these huge, um, I don't know what kind puppy of dogs they're just little puppies yeah. are in this puffy cloud of pink smoke and are supposed to help him yeah. score goals. It is. like bonkers but (laughs) highly recommend um and the second movie is what like a 1985 jackie chan movie police story i had never seen before and i was like why am i not watching more jackie chan movies these action like it took me back to our discussions about action movies every action sequence just is full throttle and it showcases Jackie Chan's amazing moves. Like, mm-hmm. I was blown away. So I, those are two solid wrecks from, from me, from this I just summer. sent you guys a picture of the fluffy puppies, just so you know, so you can look nice. it up. The sisters, Tori, we can have 
aside conversation. Yeah. I would love to know what you thought about that Garrett movie. wrote a review for it last year and we watched it and it was very good. Oh um, my God. And he also loves Jackie Chan and I am now getting an appreciation. Oh. Yes, fluffy puppies oh. for everyone to see. <laughs> um, I am also getting an appreciation for him and his uh, choreography because some of the um, fight scenes in those movies are just so good. Um, it's, yeah. His whole team, like he directed and wrote Police yeah. Story and the whole team of actors he has and stunt uh, performers and uh, in every fight sequence, is ama- they're all amazing. Um, after watching Death of Stalin, I finally watched, it's been on my list for a while, the new Suspiria that came out in 2018, which I know, Dave, you know one of the dancers in, right? Our friend Annalise, yeah, yeah. she's, uh, she's one of the, uh, kind of one of the lead dancers in the movie. Yeah, um, I liked it a lot. Um, I get why people are annoyed that they remade, like, a, you know, 70s horror classic, but... This movie honestly like gives me a lot of stuff that I felt wanting with the original. Like the original's about a dance school and you don't even ever really see them dance. Um, and this one on the other hand, the dance sequences are like crazy. They're, they look amazing. Um, the sound design is really good. You like hear them like breathing in like whenever they're doing these like insane moves. Um, it was very good. I liked it a lot. It's very long. It's like two and a half hours long. Um, it is long. But it, I liked it a lot. And Tilda Swinton playing three roles. I know. Oh, yeah, right. very cool. good. She's pretty subdued uh, for like Tilda. Um, I thought she was yeah. pretty good in all of the roles. Nice. Sam, have you seen anything? Um, it's been kind of a hard week. So the things I was watching was only like... Things to make me feel better. So, of course, I watched The Mummy. Um, I was so desperate that uh, I don't have a DVD player up in my room, only downstairs. And I was like, it is 10, 10 o'clock at night. I don't want to go downstairs. And so I bought a digital copy of The Mummy, and I don't regret it. <laughs> Good job. Um, but on Friday, Defending Jacob premiered, which is the uh, new like mini TV series that Chris Evans is in. Um, I only ended up watching the first episode because I just couldn't focus. This week has been crazy. Uh, but the first episode was great. You're like, ooh, what's going to happen? Who's guilty? Who did this? And Chris Evans looks so just great. Just great. It's good. Watch it. <laughs> He's all like suited up, right? He's got like a nice cut. Yeah, he suited up. But like, and... Also, there are moments where he's just like in a T-shirt. And Ooh, just like, mm. That nice contrast. <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I saw a movie, uh, I think it's on Amazon uh, right now, uh, Runaway Train. I think I texted you guys about. That's uh, <clears throat> John Voight and Eric Roberts in uh, a movie where they escape from um, Supermax prison after uh, John Voight's character has been welded in the hole for three years. So kind of a lot going on there. Uh, but then in their escape, they board a train in on which the conductor is incapacitated eventually. Um, and then all hell breaks loose. Uh, it's really good. It was an 85 uh, canon action movie. So you can always expect quality from that. <laughs> when you texted all of us, I went into this like crazy rabbit hole discovery that Julia Roberts has a brother. Well, no, that guy who I feel like, what's his name? Um, the Robert. 
Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts, yeah. who like I, he like will pop up in random shit. I was like, oh, I did not know that they were siblings. That was kind of like mm-hmm. a a, a mind blowing um, realization. Yeah, it's weird, and he overacts a, a lot in the movie too, which is great. Oh, great, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I suppose with that, uh, I guess we're going to roll into uh, the wrap-up of this uh, this past month's theme. Uh, we've been taking a look at uh, movies that we missed the boat on. Um, that being just sort of films that uh, either are part of, like, um, kind of, like, collective cultural history um, and, like, really big franchises or um, really prominent actors, um, really celebrated actors, um, films that uh, just sort of didn't make as flash as perhaps they should have. Um, and I think the movie that we're discussing today, uh, for me is kind of one of those. Uh, the reason I picked it, uh, was because, uh, in 2008, when this film came out, um, I really didn't see any press for it or anything. Um, and it's a movie that's very much, uh, up my alley. So, uh, figured it'd be fun to bring to the table today. Uh, that would be the death of Stalin, um, the 2018, um, Armando Iannucci film. Um, so a lot to uh, a lot to dissect and dive into here, uh, especially as regards um, historical fiction um, and satire. Uh, but a brief summary for those unfamiliar would be uh, as follows: uh, In 1953, Moscow, heart of the Soviet Union, at the height of the Great Terror, Joseph Stalin's rule has become increasingly paranoid and draconian. However, when he, then General Secretary, suffers a debilitating and ultimately fatal stroke, his surviving administrators and cronies scramble to rise their station within the vacuum of power. Moscow party head Nikita Khrushchev and NKVD interior ministry head uh, Lavrenti Beria square off in a power struggle for of political manipulation to secure both their legacy and safety as the Central Committee struggles to maintain order. Um, that, in essence, uh, the death of Stalin uh, it features some pretty wonderful performances, uh, not the least of by uh, Steve Buscemi as uh, Nikita Khrushchev. Um, we have Simon Russell Beale as Lavrenti Beria. We have um, Jeffrey Tambor as uh, Georgi Malenkov. Uh, we have Jason Isaacs as Marshal Georgi Zukov. Uh, Andrea Risenborough uh, as Svetlana Stalina. Uh, Rupert Friend as Vasily Stalin. Michael Palin as, uh, pardon me with this one, Vyacheslav uh, uh, Molotov, um, Adrian McLaughlin as Joseph Stalin himself. And um, it was a screenplay by uh, Armando Inucci, the film's director, uh, David Schneider and Ian Martin, based on a French graphic novel, Le Mort de Stalin, by Fabien Muri and uh, Thierry Robin, which I also picked up a copy of and was really cool. Uh, that, in essence, though, uh, the production... Uh, backdrop of this movie uh, i suppose uh let's just get into it i think christine you've seen this before yeah yeah i didn't see it when it came out i i, I think like you dave i don't remember there being a lot of press about it when it was in theaters but i saw it i think last year um i think i like saw it on amazon or something um but yeah i was like oh this movie was released quietly and i don't didn't know why but Sort of was, and it actually uh, it only made eight million in the United States. Um, I believe it made like sixteen point something million abroad. Uh, most of that from uh, the UK. Um, and interestingly enough, um, made uh, made quite an impact on uh, on Russian cinema, which we'll we'll cover as it, as it goes on. But um, 
But yeah, it was uh, this everyone else's first time seeing the movie? I've seen the uh, In the Loop, the other movie he did, and I also watched The Thick of It, which is the TV series that In the Loop was like part of. Um, So this is very much in that vein, which is cool, because I like that kind of um, like dry, uh, you know, political satire. Well, Connor, Sam, you guys for seeing it. How would you feel about it? Um, I think this is one of the best movies I've seen in a while to handle slapstick. Uh, like the physical comedy, I did not see coming. I was like, oh, this will probably be you know, a satire about politicians, but um, everybody's just on their game with the physical comedy. Uh, there's a scene early in the movie where they find Stalin de- uh, is dead. He had a cerebral hemorrhage, stroke, some kind of thing. He's lying on the floor, pissed himself. Nobody wants to touch the piss. Like the whole <laughs> ministry cabinet's there to like, they have to pick him up to bring him to the bed and uh, there's just so many wonderful moments of just really excellent physical comedy and the writing, the dialogue is so sharp as well that I was really every scene just like glued watching it. Nice. Yeah. I had no idea what to expect with this. And, you know, honestly, because it was a Dave pick, I was like, I wonder if this is just going to be like super, super intense. So like I was here <laughs> for that um, and was totally surprised with how funny it was. Like I found this movie to be very, very funny, which, you know, my track record with comedy is uh, not great. So um, the movie's great. It's funny. Um, I really appreciate how chaotic it was the entire time. There was not one moment where I was like, yeah, I know what's happening. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of anxiety, a lot of twists and turns. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, we have some production notes. We have some, um, some history to cover as well. But uh, before we dive into that, um, I think performances, um, they're really, they really worth talking about with this movie. Um, obviously, I think we're all pretty big Steve Buscemi fans. Um, second movie that he's been in this month. Um, and his performance, I think, is uh, you know, relatively a little more restrained. Uh, I think he's kind of like uh, more of an audience vehicle to navigate the movie in a lot of ways. How do we feel about that? Yeah, I feel like a lot of movies he sometimes plays the character that is constantly like the butt of the joke but i feel like like as cruz jeff he's like he's kind of like um an agent for for or not agent but like he's he's pushing the action forward and like basically making fun of other people around him which was kind of an interesting change for him um i loved the scene when he is reviewing the jokes uh that he was telling stalin the night before with his wife the the movie has this great detail about every night he comes home and will review the conversations he has with stalin and his wife will take notes about what jokes landed and what didn't and then the next morning they review them again uh, I thought that was such a great little detail. And I agree, Dave, that it seems like his performance is somewhat more restrained than other performances um, in other movies. But it's definitely, it's a lot of fun to watch him. Yeah, and I think considering, you know, who he plays, um, I, like, I, I agree with your point, Dave, because he's Khrushchev, you know, that's that's someone we know. Um, I, we might be familiar with some of the other people, but like he eventually like leads the Soviet Union. So like definitely aware of who this guy is and we know his future. So I think that having him be more subdued in a vehicle for the audience makes a lot of sense. The only thing I will say is that um, 
Steve Buscemi having his accent, whereas everyone else has a British accent. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hated it, but also it was fine. <laughs> I, I feel like some of the reviews I was reading, something that people or some reviewers really liked was the fact that all performers kept their the accents they had. And Ianucci had uh, was interviewed or asked about it, and he was like, "It's something. Sometimes uh, it takes away from the performance if an actor is trying to perfect like a Russian accent, even though they're still speaking in English. It seems like it would it would diminish the." impact of the, of the actual performance. I thought it added to the comedic element. I thought it was hilarious that like there are a bunch of British actors with th- those regional accents and then you have uh, Jeffrey Tambor and Steve Buscemi with like just with, like American accents. That was mm-hmm. just really funny. Well, one way I think that played nicely into the film and taking place in the Soviet Union is that it's such a huge effing country uh, was that, you know, Stalin, I think it's great that he had a Cockney accent because historically, you know, mm-hmm. Joseph Stalin was from Georgia, so he had a very thick Georgian-Russian accent. So I think it was just, I don't know if this is done intentionally, but just sort of a nice, every representing sort of just how culturally distinct Russia at that time was. He was a Georgian cub. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Lithuanian cubs, Georgian cubs. <laughs> and so I suppose that could bring us to uh, who'd been at Rupert Friend as uh, Vasily Stalin, who was uh, famously a disorderly drunk. Uh, his alcoholism cost him his life at 40 um, and was pretty much a loose cannon as, uh, as portrayed in the film. I think one of the more hilarious characters in the movie. He was so funny. And I was like, I, I thought both the siblings were very good. But mm-hmm. when he came on set, I was just like, I don't have any idea who this fucking actor is. But he's like stealing the show when yeah. there are so many other actors who I like know and love. And there's that scene when they're making, they just keep making fun of the doctors who are taking care of Stalin. Mm-hmm. And the, there's the young doctor who, he goes, how old are you? And he goes, I'm old. And he just goes, you're not old. And then says to the other guy, you're not even a person. You're a testicle. You're a testicle. <laughs> and and also, also, you're mostly hair. Oh, man. And that one that's carried over also from... Um, oh. From his sister, um, yeah. uh, Svetlana, when she's she's initially meeting the doctors, is um, how old are you? You look like you're dead. <laughs> yeah, I feel they're, like the only really role I know Rupert Friend from is Mr. Wickham in the in the Keira Knightley Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> and that's like the those two roles couldn't be more opposite. Whoa! <laughs> I think well, he really comes into his own in this movie. Um, I think also, um, my favorite performance is probably, uh, probably from Jason Isaacs is, uh, Marshall Zukov. I always the, uh, forget his something name. Else. Me too. It's just one of those actors. And yeah. he's always good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just forever Lucius Malfoy. You know, you're like, ah, oh, there he oh, is. Oh, that's where he's from. Right? Uh-huh. I know mostly from like Event Horizon, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he he's he's a joy to watch in this movie as uh, as this character. Um, oh, go ahead. Uh, it just this movie does such a good job of just adding a new element every maybe like twenty minutes. New character enters, a new this, and the pot just continues to boil faster and faster until it's like about to explode. Like yeah, no element even, feels. 
I was just saying, no element feels like superfluous. Everything is like meticulously added to just create such like a you know sense of tension and dread. Yeah, I, I checked today. And, uh, you know, the movie is an hour and forty six minutes. It fly, it goes by pretty fast, especially because of the pace of editing. Um, but I, I always forget that in check today, he doesn't really appear into the movie and until about forty nine minutes in, mm-hmm. not until over halfway through the movie. Uh, but I think his his presence is really pretty wild. Um, I have some funny notes about his uh, his whole performance and uh, embodying uh, this famous uh, you know famous general uh, Russian general who um, led against the siege of Stalingrad and became like a really celebrated um, celebrated figure. Um, Jason Isaacs, uh, when playing the part, actually wore fewer medals than would have the actual Zukov. Oh my god! Uh, because Just because the whole he, chest full of medals. <laughs> Iannucci uh, felt that, uh, he and Iannucci both felt that the uh, actual number of medals was too unbelievable. <laughs> um, he also decided uh, upon a Yorkshire English accent because according to him, quote, the bluntest people he knows are Yorkshiremen. Mm. <laughs> um, which is an accent I think that comes up through really great. There's the one scene where um, after, uh, what, like giving um, Vasily that punch to the gut to like shut him up and saying he's a disgrace to the uniform and this and that. His sister is freaking out at everyone saying to the, the open room, it's just like, if anybody uh, just kind of pauses in his response after just to beat his, well, that's me told. And then just storms out of the room. Uh, I, think, I think he's a real joy to watch in the movie. Oh, and his uh, scar also, uh, that's not historically accurate as well. Zukov would not have had a scar, but uh, they felt that they wanted to add that uh, as an illustration that he was a battle-hardened general, which he was. I think that's a really great transition to just sort of, you know, this does take place, you know, more or less, I feel like pretty accurate from what I've researched. But I think the film, this is a really great example of adaptation of like historical events, adapting to like fit the cinema, um, just like, because in reality, all of these events took place over almost all of 1953, when the movie feels like it's just over the course of maybe like two or three weeks. Um, so I think yeah. this film does a really great job of trimming, editing, adding a few things just to really heighten uh, the moviness of the story. Hmm. Yeah, it was... Like, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to add that it's interesting to read by con- or watch by contrast to the graphic novel, which is a good deal more serious in tone, uh, but also takes a lot of the same historic liberties. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, I think the fast pace um, fits the tone of the movie. Um, if this Iannucci's clearly not striving for like a completely historically accurate play-by-play of what happened. Um, I think tone and, and snappy dialogue and quick action and slapstick elements like Connor, you were mentioning earlier, I think are at the forefront of telling a story. So I feel like just fitting everything within three weeks (laughs) makes sense as far as, um, matching the feel of, of the movie itself. Even, and like, even the opening, I love the opening scene when uh, you're brought into this concert hall and um, the, this entire orchestra is just finished performing. And then the, uh, the guy uh, in the sound booth receives word that Stalin wants to complete recording of what ha- of the concert that night and then it was like oh fuck we didn't record it got to do it again and that's all super snappy and i feel like from that very opening shot it had a very in the loop vibe 
um, where people are constantly yelling at one another, somebody's fucked up, and then they're just like throwing uh, curses at, at one another. But I think that it like sets up this sort of crisis situation um, and reveals like how people, especially in positions of power, it basically shows how chains of command unfold. And I feel like that's going to be a through line through the rest of the movie and how people in power are constantly looking for ways to deflect responsibility. You see that played out within the small circumstance of like the guy in the sound booth being like yelling at his subordinate, like you're, it's going to be your, you know, your head if this fucks up. But then throughout the movie, we see this on a much larger scale, powerful people basically completely removed from the devastation of what's around them and deflecting responsibility, accountability, any sense of like moral, like accountability onto other people or just being like, whatever. But I, I just, I feel like the quickness of that opening sequence lays perfectly out what you're in store, like what's in store for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's nice maintained uh, sense of both comedy and tension, uh, both humor and horror. Um, a, a deathly serious situation interpreted uh, with liberties through comedy. So um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it sticks to landing with those. One of my favorite little moments is after Stalin does receive the recording, um, the, the pianist slips like a letter into the envelope, falls out into the ground as Stalin's taking the, the record out. And you're like, oh man, he's going to see it, puts the record on, plays it, plays for maybe two seconds and then pauses. And then it restarts yeah. again. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my God, did they mess it up? Like just tiny little details like that, really. Um, for me, just like brought this movie to life. The note too, I mean, uh, have people here watched like uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus? like episodes um so, so yeah, michael palin's in it which was very exciting I'm a he's huge great Monty python fan um but there is a early on in the series there's a joke about like a sketch about a joke that is is like deadly so as soon as someone reads it they laugh and it kills them and so when Stalin reads the letter and then just starts choking and kills over, I was like, oh my, like this is a Monty Python sketch that <laughs> they have used like in this movie, which is really funny. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. That's really cool. That's a nice tie-in. Yeah. Um, Michael Palin is one of my favorite moments is when uh, they're plotting to, uh, to work uh, as a counsel against Beria and explain him for um, <clears throat> the recent, uh, recent slaughter in the Capitol. And um, they're in the car, and uh, Michael Palin is or walking over to the car and is shouting at, um, "You're a you're a murderer, Nikki, Nikita Khrushchev." Um, and it's like, "What's your problem?" And he's just like side mouse over to them as he's walking the dog to the car. Just in the car, I can't say no. <laughs> um, and then when they actually climb in, he's uh, he's talking about how um, Khrushchev will have to have the council majority to actually act. Um, so he's got to he's got to rally everyone else. And uh, Michael Palin is just to. Uh, Deafen the sound of their conversation to the drivers outside out of fear of being overheard. Uh, has his dog in there and has just, like a ball or a treat that he's taunting him with and making all this noise. Uh, and then just before the scene cuts is uh, I think may probably an improvised thing from Michael Palin where he just kind of turns to the dog and, and all the seriousness is just, yes, yeah, Nikki, Uncle Nikki, better work quick or he'll be dead, won't he? He'll be dead. <laughs> he has another great moment at the beginning when um, his they uh, he does not know it yet but they've just released his wife from prison and they're he's like talking about her with um nikki and uh what's the other guy's name 
Oh, um, Malenkov. Oh, Beria, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, like, your wife was put away. And he's like, that treacherous whore. And then they're like, and she's back now. Yay. <laughs> <He's> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty great, too. Yeah, that element was great, too. It's like this, like, huge shift in power is about to happen. And everyone's just super paranoid. And everyone is just like, should I continue to say what I think I should be saying? Like, oh, no, it's so upsetting that Stalin is dead. You know, like, we're going to miss him so much. Or do I, like, start revealing what my true intentions are? Do I, do I like, celebrate the arrival of my wife? Or do I continue down this story or, like, with this story that she's a traitor to the country? But, yeah, that was a great, that was a great scene. Uh-oh, is Dave? Oh. Yeah, I missed all that. <laughs> Everyone's everyone's just a traitor. Uh. Oh, <laughs> nice. I mean, um, before we uh, before we kind of round out the episode with um, some some production notes and uh, the historical accuracy of the uh, film, is there are there any kind of like final thoughts or like real standout scenes that we want to kind of dive into outside of what we discussed? Um, a major thing, like for me, that I kept thinking afterwards, like I loved the film. But it was weird because I felt like conflicted with it more than I did things like In the Loop or The Thick of It or like Shin Godzilla, which is very similar to this too, where it's like, you know, just the government being a fuck up when there's like a monster attacking the city. But like this one, it's like an actually like scary dictatorship. Um, and a lot of the scenes, like when they're coming and just like grabbing people out of their homes, like are pretty legitimately scary moments. Um, but then it's balanced out with this humor, but like, not not to totally compare it to our time right now, but like we're living in like pretty scary times with the person in charge who uh, is unfit to be in charge. And I mean, even though it's really scary, there are like funny elements to it too, where like all we can do is like laugh at some of this stuff that's happening because like, we don't really know what else to do. Like the concept of a whole group of people having to re like do a performance because they didn't record it for, you know, for Stalin, like they're actually terrified they're going to die. But there is comedy in the fact that they have to do this for this very powerful, but also like very like weird and sad man that is in power, which is kind of what all of these people are like. They're doing terrible, terrible things, but at the same time, they're also just like goofy and stupid. Um, and that that's a lot of these people. I think you also see that contrast in that concert scene when the conductor, having heard that he has to redo this concert, he faints or dies, I, I can't, I don't know what happens to him. <laughs> it's out of the picture. And they have to go find a new conductor. And so somebody goes from the concert hall to go knock on the door of the apartment of the new conductor. You see him inside with his wife because the NKVD is also out in the streets rounding people up basically to be killed. Um, and so this, the conductor thinks that he's about to be taken away and killed, but really he's gonna have to go lead this concert. So I feel like those two sequences happening at the same time, talk about, or like connect to what Tori was talking about, this this intense, intense 
these two competing mm. like tones of like comedic situation. Oh, we have to redo the concert. Oh, what you know, what a crazy thing this is with with like life or death situations. Um as people, yeah, are are, are being yeah. taken away from their homes. Yeah. Uh which definitely for me kept my heart pretty racing the whole time. Yeah, men with in power with like fragile little egos is scary as fuck. <laughs> mm. Something that I really liked too was well, what happens after and what happens when those people come back? So something that was like so scary. And, you know, I think we see a lot of in the time we're living right now is how just like regular people can become like overzealous and get caught up in these like really like horrific, horrific ideologies. And it was such a small moment. So when the um, police were going around and rounding up everybody, uh, they asked the son, where's your father? And like, he's terrified. So he's like, he's in there. And then at the very end, the father comes back and uh, the, the wife is so excited to see him yeah. back. But the father and the son has shared this moment where he was like, I know you fucking told them that I was in there. And like, how are they going to reconcile that? And so, mm-hmm. you know, that, that part in particular really struck me as like, like, oh shit, that's exactly what's going to happen once Trump's out of office. Well, speaking of real shit, <laughs> uh, I guess there are, uh, there are some kind of key notes as far as, um, as, far as the accuracy of uh, some of the stuff featured in this movie. Um, again, it is, uh, it's, a historical, uh, it's historical fiction. Uh, Inuchi himself has said, uh, quote, uh, I'm not saying it's a documentary, it is fiction by the truth of what it must have been like at that time. My aim is for the audience to feel the sort of low-level anxiety that peace people uh, must have when they just went about their daily lives at this time. Uh, that being the overarching uh, goal, I suppose, of what he was doing. It's been criticized to a degree. Um, for example, uh, Samuel Goff of um, the Department of Slavic Studies at the University of Cambridge uh, says that uh, while the film's historical discrepancies can be justified to help focus on the drama, uh, he wrote the turning barrier into, quote, an avatar for the, of the obscenities of the Stalinist state, missed the chance to say anything about the actual mechanisms of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gulf argued that Iannucci's approach to satire uh, wasn't transferable to something like Stalinism, and the film is, fundamental, quote, fundamentally ill-equipped to locate the, com- the comedy inherent in Stalinism, uh, missing marks it doesn't know it should be aiming for. Interesting. Um, so it's gotten sort of a mixed reception from historians, especially, uh, as one might imagine with historical fiction. Um, and it does take uh, some historical liberties. Uh, for example, Molotov, um, character played by Michael Palin, was not at the time a foreign minister when Stalin died. He was fired in 1949, uh, but then returned in the post-Stalin reshuffle. Um, Marshal Zhukov, as uh, played by Jason Isaacs, um, and not Field Marshal Zhukov, as is said in the film, um, was a local field commander when Stalin died, actually exiled um, to the provinces because of Stalin's paranoid jealousy of him. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> it was actually uh, Khrushchev, uh, not Malenkov, who cha- chaired the meeting to reorganize the government uh, after Stalin's stroke. And uh, one fundamental difference is that uh, Beria was arrested three months after Stalin died, not simultaneously. Um, and that was... Um, basically because of a 1953 East German uprising, not a massacre of mourners in Moscow. 
Um, furthermore, he was not the head of the NKVD uh, at the time when Stalin would have died. He, has, he gave up the position in 1946. Hmm. Uh, and that's sort of a big moral crux of the film, or at least he pre presents us as, uh, as the, kind of that historian points out, is sort of he's <clears throat> an example of the sort of uh, more sociopathic and, um, and ruthless totalitarian um, political uh, manipulation that was going on in that, uh, in that era in the Union. Um, and then we, you know, see him killed in the end uh, for it. But um, yeah, I don't know. How do we feel about that? I mean, as far as making those changes, making those adjustments for the sake of heightening drama or, or the pace of the film. I'm glad you brought up, like, the, the issue of historical accuracy. I know I, like, at the beginning was like, well, I think if it's in service of you know, telling a snappy comedic story, fine. But I think actually, Dave, you bring up a really important point about um, what does it mean to tell a story, a real story, and not stick to facts rooted in what actually happened. Um, and like, I, I think it's a question that I don't know if I have an answer for right now, but it definitely, mm -hmm. I think, is is an essential thing that you brought up. This is a comedy about a horrific time period. And so, um, yeah, I guess what is lost by not uh, having the de details of, of something that's historically accurate? And sure. does it undermine the, the truth of what happened? I guess- Yeah, I don't have an answer either, so. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, a thing I was thinking too, like, you know, because like all of these people are like probably like behind some really terrible things that happened to many, many people. I keep thinking like maybe for him, it didn't matter what the event was that was like the reason this person fell out of power, you know, like it could have been anything. They just wanted to find an excuse to get rid of someone. And so they just were like, okay, cool. Now's the time to jump on it. Um, and so I guess like maybe, you know, I, I also don't really know the answer if there's like right or wrong, but I can see being like, okay, like, you know, it doesn't matter what it was. Like they just were going to find an excuse to get rid of someone when they wanted to get rid of someone. And I think what the film does a really great job of is showing um, like how precarious the whole situation was. Like it really could have been uh, Khrushchev or Barrio uh, in that moment. Whether that's real or not, I'm not hundred percent sure, but in terms of like, ways to make the kind of themes of this film successful. I think the liberties that were taken were too far. Like while the um, massacre of the mourners didn't happen in real life, Baria killed, facilitated the deaths, the rapes of thousands of thousands. thousands. Um, so while that event didn't happen, certainly other things like that are incredibly plausible to have happened under his watch and command. And there would have been actually a stampede uh, that did claim the lives of I think about 109 people during the, uh, the funeral, but I don't I don't think it had any relation to the NKVD actually. Interesting. Merging, I guess, uh, the spirit of Barry's responsibility for another political and humanitarian catastrophe for for one and another. Um, <clears throat> one thing I did think was interesting also, really quick, was that um, uh, Simon Russell uh, Beal playing uh, Baria. Is a, a really, really, really menacing figure. Um, one thing that kind of brought me amusement as watching the film was whoever, I forget the actor's name, who played Barrio, I think would be a great penguin in the Batman movies. 
like just like the short kind of fatter kind of guy like political machination i I just thought that that would be a pretty cool penguin performance just kind of what i was thinking of yeah dave what did you think of his performance i i I just caught the very end of that um yeah penguin would be a a good call um i thought his performance is is great uh but um one thing that i think is interesting is that um the real for me the real tone shift at the end of this movie is um almost like an emergent sympathy for that character as he's being like you know betrayed by everyone else and is you know just pleading for his life um uh, that being said i mean of course he was historically a monster uh, a known criminal rapist uh murderer and like personally a murderer um even in an era of like institutional murder um and also uh I, I think it's just sort of, I mean, it is in fact also interesting that he did uh, plead for his life when about to be executed. When, of course, I'm sure he heard those pleas all the time. Um, but it's a weirdly, yeah, weirdly humanizing moment that kind of frames everything, the stakes of things really appropriately at the end of the movie in a way. But I think also does it only through these central characters who were responsible for all this without addressing kind of the national situation or the 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 true tragedy or anxiety that was experienced on a common level, at least as far as capping off the movie. Yeah, the movie is kind of closed off, you know, because it's just within those circles of power. Um, and so we don't really get that. We get those momentary glimpses of the perspective of like thousands and thousands of other Russians who weren't in positions of power, whether scenes where they're getting taken away from their homes. There's a like a very arresting uh, scene when uh, some political prisoners are getting shot. And then just in a split moment, it's like they're going down the line and shooting them in the head. And then the guy who's, ma- who's shooting them gets a call. It's like, oh, you can stop. We're starting to release prisoners. And it's like supposed to be funny about how arbitrary decision-making is and how it impacts all of those people's lives in such sudden instances, but it's also, it's just like, hor- like horrific. Um, so those are the only glimpses you have or mourners at Stalin's funeral. And so I think it's intentional that it's confined within just the, per- for within the perspective of all of these men of power. Um, but, but then you, you start to compare the characters. You're like, well, Khrushchev isn't as bad as Beria. And like, and then, you, and then I think those humanizing moments come from just having to compare all of these characters with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you find, like, I found myself like, a, like having sympathy for particular characters, but then having to like step back and be like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> they, they are, um, who they presented in the movie only in relation to the other characters uh, who have are very cavalier with the lives of uh, everyday Russians. <laughs> well, well uh, does anybody have any kind of like a final wrap up notes or, or final thoughts before uh, there's just one little, uh, one more piece of trivia that I did want to kind of cap us off with in, uh, in consideration of that kind of question. I think the final shot of the movie is really great um, where Nikita Khrushchev gets Bari executed. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor's character is for now head of the Soviet Union. And then there's some little, and there's been some like text throughout the movie. It says, you know, in whatever year Khrushchev becomes head of the Soviet Union, 
until he's replaced by so-and-so who's like sitting just two rows up from C. Buscemi, like staring down at him. Um, so I think just that perpetuating that cycle of power, um, Della was a really great moment for the movie to end on. Sam, on your spectrum of what happened, where were they now? Where do you think this movie falls? You were saying there's like the spectrum that you had of like ending shows or movies with the, with like, weren't you talking about that with like Tiger King? Yeah, and then you were like, never mind. I, I mean, I vaguely remember, but what was my point? You're like, there's a spectrum for things oh. ending with where are they now? <laughs> I, I took it to mean either oh. impactful, oh, the Chernobyl and then Tiger King. I remember. And I oh, took okay, it to right. mean like something ending that way of being like, and then this is what happened to these characters, either being effective or not effective. And you said there was a spectrum. So I was wondering at the end of this movie, if you thought that it was an effective, this is what happened to them after the timeline of this story. Ooh, okay. So if the spectrum is Tiger King here and Chernobyl here, I think it's like here. Got it. A not toward quite, the Chernobyl side. Yeah, not quite dead center, but close enough, but on the Chernobyl side. Cool. Thank you for following me down that. <laughs> I just like, oh, I said that? <laughs> didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> I totally forgot I had said that. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, just one little thing to, to lead us out on, and that would be, uh, as I mentioned before, um, the film's uh, reception in, in Russia, uh, and that would be that the film was uh, ultimately banned in Russia on January 23rd, 2018, two days prior to its scheduled release. Um, one member of the culture ministry's advisory board was quoted as saying, the film desecrates our national symbols, the Soviet hem, orders and medals, and Marshall Zukov is portrayed as an idiot. Um, I don't think necessarily, but at any rate. Um, also noting that the film's release uh, was in advance of the 75th anniversary of the end of the battle of, and siege of Stalingrad would be, uh, quote, an affront to uh, Russia's World War II veterans. So uh movie that's felt... Uh, pretty hotly about over in, uh, in, in Russia, but um, here in the States, if you feel like checking it out, it is right now on Netflix. Um, and uh, again, the movie that I missed the boat on and uh, I think would have been one of my favorites of the year had I seen it at the time. So I would say uh, if you get an opportunity, go ahead and check it out. Um, so I guess uh, that's about all I have for this one. Uh, we'll be seeing you next time. But will we? Will yes, we, really? we will. <laughs> Um, you can follow us on okay. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, email is butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com. Does anybody want to have anything that they want to plug as we're wrapping up? Mm. Yeah. Better internet connection than mine, I guess. Um, but cool. Great. Okay. Right, well, have a great day, everyone. Stay safe. Stay healthy. All right. Bye. 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 See you.